0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This year marks 25 years since the founding of the band New Radicals, who would go on to release You Get What You Give and Someday We'll Know. I spoke to frontman Greg Alexander in 2015 about his Oscar-nominated song Lost Stars from the movie Begin Again. Hey, Greg, nice to meet you. This is Jason Fraley with WTOP Radio in Washington, DC. How are you?
1: Doing good. How are you doing,
0: Jason? Very good. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. All right, let's move a little chronologically through this, if you don't mind. I remember being in eighth grade when all of a sudden the radio uh, hits this new song by the New Radicals. Never heard of them before, and afterwards I had to immediately get that song, You Get What You Give. Um, before we move on to begin again, you, any thoughts back on that song and where you were in the time of your life and why you decided to, to uh, dissolve the band just a year after that hit?
1: Yeah, gosh, well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, good times. I mean, I look back on it very fondly. I- I think maybe you know there was a part of me was maybe more cut out for you know I like being in the studio and creating and doing all that stuff and I, I like playing live but it, like it wasn't like uh, something I felt I I had to do you know like sometimes you you kind of have to do something like a cook that has to get into the kitchen and start cooking I kind of I have to get in the studio or get a guitar in my hands and start writing songs but as much as I like going on stage it's like I didn't have like that primal primal urge, you know? So maybe that was just part of it, you know?
0: You decided to move on and do some other stuff. Um, You won a Grammy as a songwriter, right, for Santana and Michelle Branch?
1: Yeah, yeah, I sure did. Yep, absolutely. Yep, Yeah, yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, no, she was the third person that that sang it. Uh, Tina Turner sang it. She was fantastic, but I think she was maybe taking a little break at the time. And then Macy Gray gave it a shot, but I think maybe she... um, you know had a you know changed the melodies and kind of took it to a uh, a different place that was really cool but maybe not um maybe didn't follow the melodies the way that michelle did so maybe it had a little bit more of a uh 70s soul vibe with macy singing it and then michelle's version was just like the uh a little bit more like the carpenters or something so i guess uh have a, the, the powers that be went with the Carpenters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a
0: superstar. Um, and that, that song was called The Game of Love, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, Jason. Yep. Huh? Gotcha. All cool. right, so we're moving through time here, and now today with Begin Again, how did you get involved with director John Carney? Did you see the movie once, his previous movie, or how, how did that come about?
1: Well, yeah, I, I'd been aware of his previous work and stuff, but it was really a, a phone call I received that I thought was maybe a prank phone call at first. I got a phone call... <laughs> Uh, California time. It was like in the morning, if I remember correctly, with this Irish accent going, hello, is this Greg Alexander? And, oh, I thought it was a, um, I thought maybe, they, I worked with an Irish artist, this guy named Ronan Keating, who we had a couple hits in Europe with, and I thought maybe it was him or one of his cousins playing a prank phone call on me. I was like, Ronan, come on, cut the crap. And then finally, uh, he goes, oh no, he goes, he goes, oh, I got your phone number from, from a guy named Simon and a guy named Bono. And then I thought it was definitely a prank call. <laughs> no, but, but then I, I know him kind of peripherally. I know you know, I know uh you know, the Irish uh, godfather, lovely guy and uh, kinda have known him a bit through the years. It turned out he'd um him and his friend Simon had given my phone number to John, and I uh, once I realized that it was not a prank phone call, uh, although I'm prone to sometimes talking on prank phone calls for a half hour just to go with it, you know, <laughs> pretend it's like a little bit of a surreal uh, stream of consciousness thing. But anyway, uh, in all seriousness, we uh, started talking about film and music, and uh, we ended up uh, being on the phone for about an hour and a half just kind of talking about um, this script that he'd written, which at the time was called can a song save your life? So he sent out the script, and I uh, loved it. And I was like, "Oh gosh, let's uh, let's jump in." So we really it started a journey of just like writing songs and sending over songs, and him tweaking on things and changing things around. It was a real uh, kind of like a real back and forth, real uh, a real um, almost like a. Uh, like I was on the moon and he was on the earth. He was on Earth and we were like sending like these smoke signals and songs. <laughs> and then we finally met up and uh, and met in person. And um, and that was when it really kind of really seemed to cement was when it became a little bit more face to face and real. Because before that, it was just kind of like uh, telephone calls and working on songs. And you never really know until you meet somebody like if it's uh, you know if they're serious about. It. And I knew John's work from once, but. Uh, he was uh, very uh, focused on making a great film, so that was uh, an inspiring reason to, to jump on board when we finally met as well.
0: Uh, do you remember where that meeting was and, and, you know, the specifics of how that how that went down?
1: Yeah, oddly enough, no one's ever asked me that. Yeah, you know, oddly enough, well, uh, good. <laughs> we, there's a studio called Air Studios in uh, London. It's in North London, kind of near Camden, and... Um, we uh, actually met and went into the uh stu- we went into the studio and just kind of like uh uh played a bunch of music and we just walked around london for a couple hours just kind of like talking and stopping and get having a couple cups of coffee and by the time uh after a couple of cups of coffee this mad irishman and this mad uh guy from detroit that being me kind of had you know concocted this crazy idea of like you know just different uh you know different visions for how um, the whole thing could come together you know the the um the script the music the casting everything it was it was fun it was very collaborative and very exciting and a, a good uh you know good experience i think coming from the music world to to jump into the music world into a, a film project with a director that has such a strong point of view and has a a strong passion for music was a you know an exciting thing as it were you know
0: and I'm sure your uh your your conversation got faster and more rapid the more cups of coffee you had. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen
1: by the time we upgrade to the heavy stuff, you know?
0: <laughs> Jittery Stars was the alternate title. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was the original title. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. You got the shakes. Um <laughs> Um what's it right? So I assume this is this was your first time working on a movie, is that right?
1: Uh yeah. I mean I've had songs licensed in films, which that I don't know if your listeners are familiar, just like we're like you know, someone will call and say, you know, Joe Schmo is making a, a big star movie, and, you know, will you put our song in it? And we got, you know, $5 to pay. And you're like, well, how about 500 And they're like, oh, okay. No, I mean, like, you know, it's just this process. You know, because you're kind of like a bit in the uh, in in that lane and know kind of how the process goes.
0: Is there a certain song of yours that, that people request the most for the licensing? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I mean, well, certainly, I mean, God knows, out of the new radical stuff, Jason, people tend to really, of course, you know, like... Uh, you get what you give, and um, speaking of the film thing, because I know that's what you mentioned after about a second ago. That I, how I've been involved with films before was just. Fortunately, there has been a, a, a nice, friendly contingency of like creative people, like music supervisors or sure. directors, that have maybe look back fondly on that song. So I've had songs like from the New Radicals or different stuff in a lot of films, but this was the first time I'd actually written something specifically to order for a film, and that's what made it different. And kind of really what made it more uh, creatively compelling and more interesting as an artist. You know.
0: Now you you wrote the. Uh... Tell me if it's correct. I believe I see you You wrote both the musical score, you know, the instrumental thing, and also, you know, a bunch of songs from the movie. Because I've seen the movie. Um, talk about what it's like writing the musical score first, and then we'll go into some of the songs. What's it like composing that uh, as opposed to writing music for just a music album?
1: Well, I don't know. That's interesting, because I'm, I'm not really the most... Uh like classically trained or well-versed in terms of all the vernacular, or the different uh, the roles or hats that maybe people have. Like I didn't really even understand until I got on the set exactly what's the range of what a music supervisor does or that sort of stuff because it's kind of outside of my realm of expertise so right. what i did uh, and how it transpired with this project was just writing a whole bunch of songs and then the score came together in so much as my songs are used as that they're they're used throughout the film as needed so we have parts and we have what they might call uh, stems like because uh, you know all these uh you know, the the engineers like to put things into, like, Pro Tools and all these technical things. I like kind of old tape, like stuff from, like, the 1960s right. and the 70s, like the old 24-track machines. But everything's digital now. So a lot of how that came together, Jason, was just cutting longer versions of the, of the songs. We would have shorter versions. We'd have certain things where there'd be the instruments. The instruments would play and ad-lib things, and then there'd be versions that were a little bit more sped up. And, and then what ended up happening by Hooker by Crook is over the course of this particular film, the songs and the different arrangements of them were just used throughout in so much as that, which you might call a score. What it wasn't was is kind of like the way that maybe... Like somebody like Hans Zimmer might get hired to score a film, and he'll come in and watch a film after the fact and add all these things. This was, I think, maybe a unique process in the sense that most all of the music was recorded and written and um, put, you know committed to tape before, uh, a, a note, before even one shot of the film was done.
0: Ah, uh, gotcha. It wasn't like scenes were up on screen and you were writing the songs to those. It was pretty much the opposite way. You'd you come up with a bunch of songs and then did he doctor the script based on that? Or what's the order?
1: Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, interestingly enough, I have a hard time writing songs for anyone else to sing. So, like, I have a, my process is just always trying to write the best song possible. But this one, no matter how it happens, but this happened a little bit differently because I did read the script first. But yeah, I would, in fact, no, I did not do anything where I was watching something on the screen and then trying to create new music for it. Although that would be kind of a—I'm I, I, sure that would be a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of guys that do that, like Mark Mothersbaugh, and right. and um, I guess Trent Reznor does that now too, doesn't he? Sure.
0: How does the script, like if if I'm sitting down reading the script, how does that appear? Do your, are your lyrics actually in there in like a, a you know a movie about music like this, or is it just say your t- song title insert here kind of a thing?
1: No, the thing that's interesting about John is he's a very fluid collaborator. So, you know, his 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 approach was the best song wins. If there's something that's really compelling or interesting, maybe we'll change things around to make it fit, to make the film fit the song, or to make whatever scene or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, uh, come together as needed. So that was a little bit more. What was? Your, I missed the heart of the question though. What can you repeat? Oh, the I, uh,
0: yeah. The heart of the question was just how how it appears in the script. Does does John? Because um, obviously you guys collaborated throughout. Does John Carney write your you know the song title? You know, insert oh, God, this song no, here. Oh God, no, okay.
1: nothing like that. I mean, you know, not that there'd be anything wrong with that. But I think one of the things that was. Uh, Maybe more, uh, one of the things that was exciting and more compelling about, like, doing this versus, say, for instance, if somebody said, do you want to do a film about dog catchers, was is that there seemed to be a lot of uh, room to uh, to move and to, to ad-lib on stuff. So John just kind of, the original script versus where it was when it finally was uh, shot, is substantially changed if my memory serves. So I do think that that's a a testament to the fact that, you know, he he is a fluid collaborator and that his uh, process is not, you know, stymied. You know, he's open to, to, to trying things, or if he hears something that inspires him, he'll... He'll uh, tweak it accordingly and stuff like that, you know, which is actually kind of a musician's uh, perspective in terms of even music making. I think maybe if you're in the studio with a band, you know, if the bass player comes up with a cool line, you change it. And then pretty soon you have a, you know, you you never know where the best idea is going to come from.
0: Sure, no, and, and well, maybe that's why you guys work together, because he kind of approaches it from that, you know, musical aspect. Um, let's talk about a song. Let's talk about Lost Stars. That's kind of the big one on this album. So big, in fact, that it got bumped up to the number one slot on this uh, CD. It's not exactly chronologically how the movie is, it's the, but I can tell it's a big song. That's why it's first.
1: Oh, what CD is that? That sounds really interesting. What
0: is that? Oh, I, got, I just got a, a bunch of film critic associations that I'm involved in. They send out copies of various promotional materials, and it's just the Begin Again soundtrack. Lost Stars is the first song on the thing by Adam Levine, but obviously that appears later in the movie. So I just thought it was interesting that it's first on the on the album here. But anyway, yeah, I want to talk about Lost Stars a little bit. Describe the moment that that song came to you. What was the inspiration for that particular one?
1: Well, gosh, you know, thank you by the way. Thanks for pointing that out. That's a we're, we're as songwriters we're thrilled that your dream is to always be first song side one. So anytime that <laughs> happens, it's like that's like the coolest thing on the planet. Well, there it, really it is. is. Like really, never you never get bored of that. That's so exciting. Um, Yeah, gosh. Well, we and we were in London. You know, me and the the folks that uh, worked on the song, and it started snowing, and it was like really nasty weather, and like. Danielle had flown out, and she brought out her husband. Everybody was a little bit like Yancy, like, oh, my God, we thought it was going to be, you know, like an early spring out here, and, like, instead it's freezing. And so we just, on a whim, like, just decided to go down to the south of Spain and just um, really uh, was just kind of ruminating on life and kind of feeling like in this new, strange place. I mean, i have been to Spain before, but I'd never been to the Costa del Sol. And it was um, just kind of being out of your comfort zone, and then um, the song just happened out of nowhere, which is always like when the best stuff seems to happen is when you don't see it coming. You know, it's kind of like love. It, when you're looking for it, you never find it, but when you when you, when you you think it's, it's permanently left the room, that's when it comes walking back in, you know?
0: Or like the money bite of this interview. I didn't know it was coming and you just gave it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like love. That's perfect. What were your thoughts when you first heard them each take a crack
1: at it? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's funny is, uh, well, Adam is such a fantastic Singer, we're both um, tenors, but we we can go into falsetto. We kind of have a similar range vocally. So when he came in and sang, it was kind of a, uh, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty intense because he's such a great singer, and I was like, oh my god, he's hitting those notes really good is he doing it better than I did? It was kind of funny he brought out like that kind of that, that little bit of lead singer disease as I call it you know what I mean like where all of a sudden you're like a little bit not competitive because obviously I walked away from the, you know the artist thing a while ago but it was fascinating to hear somebody sing one of my songs and uh, you healthy know healthy frontman I, I jealousy. go to these places I mean he did some vocal ad-libs that were just truly astonishing and he's Needless to say, a a consummate uh, sweetheart, just a really talented and uh, down-to-earth and the whole very funny, too. I mean, he's probably one of the funnier people you'll ever meet. So, yeah, no, that was a a real joy. And then with Kira, you know, needless to say, I think probably because she's done so many period pieces and she's done so many, like, classic kind of English movies, we weren't sure if she was going to show up, like, on a white horse or whatnot. And she (laughs) came into the studio, like, so down-to-earth and just, like, very... uh, Hard working and just really uh, fearless because I think if you 're an actress and you 're not really used to being in the studio and you 're used to kind of being in control of your um, your medium for lack of a better word because obviously actors are so used to um, they're thrown into unusual situations, but they've got this craft, if they're really great like Kira is, to to get them through, you know, because she's so uh, instinctively, uh, instinctively a great actress. And she came in, and she had a great tone, and, and it was really funny how she was very down-to-earth and humble. And probably about halfway into the first song, we were like, well, look, if you ever want to do an album, please call us.
0: <laughs> Did you write those songs with either of them in mind? Like, Were they cast before the songs were written, or what was the order of that?
1: Yeah, no, the the songs were written first, and then um, Scarlett Johansson was originally going to play Keira Knightley's okay. role, and that had changed uh, because of, I don't know if there were some prior commitments or what had happened, but so we had these songs and we had these ideas, but we weren't sure who was going to come on board and if there was going to be any way to find an actress that could actually sing and stuff, so it was kind of one of those things where we were almost like protected by the gods of music or something like somebody somehow we were sent like a a a great actress that could actually sing you know because there's a lot of really good actresses that may not have that talent you know god knows most singers cannot act you know
0: yeah so i mean i mean so it's nice when it can work out like that because there's not too many double triple threat type people out there so um i think that's one of the the real treats of begin again is you get to see two people in you know outside their typical comfort zone but they kind of slay it in their own way. So. Um, did you get to work with Ruffalo at all? I mean, I know he's not really singing the songs in in this, really, as as much as those guys, but did you get to meet him during this whole process?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I didn't get to really meet with, or work with him, per se, but he came to the studio once or twice, and that was a lot of fun. He's just, uh, so down-to-earth, like, just really cool and stuff, and I I wasn't there, but apparently it was right around the time, I think it was 2012, so he went outside for a little bit, uh, outside the studio, and I, I wasn't there, but I heard that, like, every 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 other person that walked by was, like, talking to him or taking pictures, or like, yo, and, like, all that stuff, and he just seems to handle uh, that attention uh, incredibly well, I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like to have, uh, you know, that sort of thing where you go outside and everybody's yelling your name and everybody's trying to take your picture and all that sort of stuff it seems like a lot of responsibility for somebody uh you know in their i think he was in his late 30s at this time you know but then again you see people that are like in their teens you know you get kid actors and kid actresses that have like you know 50 year old men wanting to take their picture with them i wouldn't get any of my kids in show business if i ever had any (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, for sure.
0: Um, speaking of show business, the, one of my favorite sequences is their iPods listening to you know their playlists, and one of the songs that comes on there, there's kind of an homage to the Casablanca song, As Time Goes By, Dooley Wilson on the iPod there. Um, what's it feel like to kind of, now, now that you're part of this long tradition of great movie songs, you know, you have Over the Rainbow and Moon River, As Time Goes By, all those great ones. Do you have a favorite of those? I mean, are you a movie buff in terms of movie songs? Do you think about any of these?
1: yeah well i 'm an absolute cinephile I love film it 's such a an amazing and it 's an inspiring medium i mean that 's the thing that 's so great about it, is that it can change the way people see things, the way they see the world, the way they can see the way, change the way people see themselves and it can actually sometimes challenge the way people think and the way they act you know i mean that 's probably one of the positives about some of these movies, I mean, I haven't really seen it, but I've heard about The Help or The Blind, what was it called? The, the Blind, Blind Side or something, yeah. or The Green Mile. I mean, there's just a lot of movies, certainly. I mean, I thought The The Butler was an amazing movie, 12 Years a Slave. I like films that either are really entertaining and really fun and funny, or I'm not averse to and I tend to really love films that ha- are not afraid of tackling difficult subjects and stuff like that. But with respect to um, some of my favorite musicals, I would say uh, probably because when I was a kid, because it used to get played all the time. I would have to say, "The Sound of Music." Something about those those scenes where they were like up on the hills and everybody's running around and singing. I mean, that was that was pretty compelling as a kid because what that film did was it equated great music with flying or, like, f- the freedom of being like a bird or an eagle in the air. I mean, as corny as that sounds, that's kind of one of the uh, earlier memories of um, music and film. And probably the one that shaped me the most in terms of music and film coming together would definitely have to be Purple Rain, because oh, yeah. that was a film that had a lot to say about race. It had a lot to say about sexism, misogyny. It had it covered a lot of bases in a lot of ways. And, uh, and to have it coupled with amazing music was... Uh, Uh, you know, an interesting thing to see when you're 13 or 14, you know, because I I was a kid when I saw it the first time.
0: Absolutely. Well, you and me both on the cinephile thing there, pal. Seriously, (laughs) I love it. Uh, What makes a classic movie song? I mean, whether it's an old classic, you know, Shirley Bassey singing Goldfinger or Adina Menzel last year, Frozen, I mean, whatever style, whatever genre, what is it that makes a good movie song in your mind?
1: Well, gosh, I would say... Well, I mean, now, this song wasn't really written for the film, but it was such an amazing, amazing placement, for lack of a better term, was, you know, say anything when they played in your eyes. I mean, he's holding up the... the totally, the, the, Peter the, Gabriel. Yeah, that was an amazing... But I would say, like, in terms of a, of a new original piece of music in a film... I would say anything that really kind of marries the vision of the director and the writer and what the actors are trying to convey with maybe some of the spirit of what the songwriter was trying to say and even what the singer was trying to convey. When you can get all of those different... I don't want to say agendas, but needs and purposes and reasons for being. If you can get them all to converge and be speaking the same language, even if nobody understands what each other is saying, but if they're somehow speaking the same language of music, then that, that works, you know, because that's the thing that's kind of cool about music, because it is a universal language. I mean, you don't even really need to. I mean, there's been big, big hit songs that nobody knows what they're. Singing. Nobody really knows the words to Macarena or to, uh, you know, (laughs) Gangnam Style. I mean, I can't think of. There's been a couple of, like, or Nina, 99 Red Luff Balloons, but a really great melody sometimes can transcend uh, language, it transcends genre, it transcends everything it transcends everything
0: so as part of you uh you know trying to get john kearney to hold up uh you know a boom box with lost stars playing it over you like say anything or you just want to let 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 john cusack have that and <laughs> uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah totally no that would have been a great scene actually That would have been really funny but you know what those, <laughs> those boom boxes are so heavy and uh cure is in such wonderful shape i mean those those things weigh probably more than she does so you know it may not have worked for that reason alone.
0: It probably would have been Levine in terms of the story. It would have been Levine holding the boombox, planet it instead. instead <laughs> and, but I, I guess instead he leaves the voicemail, or, or she leaves the voicemail for him. I guess so that, new yeah, times, yeah. new times, new technologies. We have boombox, boomboxes with Cusack and say anything, and now we're in iPhone voicemails. You
1: know, that's an interesting point. Actually, that is that that is odd. How conveying music back way back when was with this huge, huge walking around with like a probably a forty-pound. 40-pound piece of music equipment. And radio now it's like Raheem,
0: on a, you know? Yeah,
1: now it's on an iPod. They wouldn't have believed us if we told them back then.
0: Or I mean, it's, it's interesting. You got, you know, American Graffiti, you got Wolfman Jack just spinning tunes over the radio and these hot hot rods, and now you have Ruffalo listening to iPod tunes. You know, it's it's funny how movies can reflect that. Um, so one more question, then. You just performed publicly um, at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and there was a little little thing recently i think that after the hollywood film awards or something yeah we did a couple of songs quincy jones introduced us which was beyond a, an honor cuz he's like the greatest living record producer so i was like i was like i can die and go to heaven now for sure yeah
0: for sure so what i wanted to ask you off of that springboarding off of that um Going forward with award season, if uh, "Lost Stars" or any of the other songs are, are nominated, um, would you would you be interested in performing? You know, at the Oscars, you know they always do the big. Um, well, Travolta introduced her as Adele Dazim last year, but uh, would you <laughs> would uh, would you would you consider something like that? Would you be honored?
1: Oh yeah, well you know I mean. I, I, I'd i be totally open to performing with Kira and Adam. I just don't know if their security would let me close enough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But in all seriousness, no, I think um, I, if that all comes together, probably... Because Adam did such a mind-blowing version of the film, he'd probably be uh, an amazing, uh, amazing ambassador for that. But if he wanted me to sing backgrounds, I'd, I'd be up for it.
0: Not turning that down. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for talking. It was great. I could have probably talked for hours, but I, I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh, likewise, Jason. Yeah, let's do it sometime down the line. You know, hopefully if all this stuff comes together, there'll be more reasons to, to chat and stuff. I We, we really appreciate the... Uh, the support and and all that sort of stuff. So thanks again and just to you know to your peers and all the various folks that have been Positive about the song or the you know sequenced it you know towards the front of the CD. I mean that that means the world to us. So we're we're humbled and we uh, we all appreciate it. Me and Danielle and the whole gang. So thanks again. And I hope to speak to you. Hopefully, if we get some good news or there's some good things coming coming down the pike, hopefully there'll boor, uh, be more reasons to maybe uh, continue the conversation. And I can bore you with more accolades about how security won't let me go anywhere. They're just like you know keeping me at a distance.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll track the you know the progress, the season, and hopefully hopefully keep in touch and do it again.
1: Awesome, partner. Thanks again, man. Hey,
0: nice meeting you. Thanks.
1: Yeah, likewise.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.